Tonight is called, Are You Realistic With Your Dating? There's a lot of different ways that I could have gone about talking about this idea tonight. I could have said, for example, I could have said, well, are we going to talk about a first date? Are we going to talk about the beginning of dating? Or are we going to talk about the middle of a date if I'm already dating someone? I decided tonight in my handout to talk about faults. Can you see the faults in the person that you're dating? Because very often we romanticize our dates. There's two things that I see. I set people up. And because people have had their heart broken so many times, what ends up happening is they have this automatic defense mechanism. No, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. So you spend three days before you're going out with that person making sure that you become what I call a self-fulfilling prophet. You're going to make sure that it's really not going to work. And guess what happens? I have this amazing thing. You actually go out with the person and it doesn't work. I know it could be shocking. It actually doesn't work when you go out with the person because you decided before you even started it's not going to work. What you do is you first social them, right? You check them up on Facebook and Insta and all these other things. So you make sure that you know their whole thing because you're going to base their entire life based on what they're going to post on their thing. So everyone's worried. What am I posting? What does my picture look like on my, on my social profile? And it becomes this whole what we call the dating cycle game. Or there's the opposite of that. The opposite of that is, I'm going to romanticize this. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And what happens then? All those expectations get broken. Because it's not how you fantasized it. It wasn't like I had this idea of how it was going to happen, but it didn't happen that way. So, and obviously I'm talking to opposite extremes. So tonight I decided that instead of starting from the beginning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start from the middle and see if we can work our way out. I'm going to talk now for 45 minutes. Afterwards, I have a lot of questions that I already see being put in the bucket. If you have any anonymous questions, you're welcome to put it in the bucket here. And I will take the questions out. And then I'll also ask if you don't want to have an anonymous question, I'm happy so you can ask your questions. And we'll have a little bit of a question and answer session as well, and I'll answer all your questions. So that way, if you came here to talk about what I was planning on talking about, you'll get something out. If you came here to hear your voice, you'll also get that experience as well. Everyone gets their own experiences. Let's start by talking about infatuation. What is infatuation? Have you ever heard of this term before? Good. Everyone's shaking their head. I don't have to talk about infatuation. Let's go on to the next thing. Lust at first sight. <laughs> what? Lust at first sight. Lust at first sight. Infatuation. Now, as part of infatuation, you may end up convincing yourself that the object of your affection is perfect. And there are typically three reasons for this. I'm just looking at my handout here. And you're welcome to not have to feel the need to take all these notes because you have the handout here. And if you don't have the handout, I'm happy to send it to you. Number one, you just met the person and you don't know their faults. You don't know who the person really is. 
Actually, I'm going to go on to tell you that when you just meet someone, the odds are that you are going to see a part of them that is exactly the wrong part of them. You're going to see a part of them is not the part that they want to show you, even if it's perfect, even if a first date goes perfect. I am a huge fan of not allowing just one date because the first time it's just awkward and there's no way to unawkwardize it. It's just really, really awkward. And there's no way to, to change that. So if you're constantly basing, first of all, most people don't even do that. They're basing it on a, on a picture. Swipe right, swipe left. I won't talk about that. They're basing it on a profile, on seeing someone. They look, seeing is believing. They're basing it on just someone that they're seeing. But let's pretend that we're going to go beyond the superficial, just basing it on someone you're seeing, and you're actually going to spend some time, and you're going to say that I know who the person is, I did some research on them, now you went on a first date, but you don't know who they are, and they will be showing the wrong side of themselves. So I always say the most important thing is to try to find a second date, because in that second date, you're going to have a much more realistic version of that person. Just by the way, I always say you've got to give it two tries. People who always make their decisions, people tell me, I'll know in five minutes. Really? Let's think of other things that are important in your life. Did you decide in five minutes? Let's talk about your career. Oh, yeah. I'll know if I want to be a doctor. I can figure it out in five minutes. If I want to be an accountant, I'll figure it out in five minutes. I'm going to go to university for five minutes. Anything that's important in your life. If someone comes to me and says, just, just get me in front of someone, I'll figure it out in five minutes. What are you talking about? This is a really important thing. And if it's something you're really spending time on, if you're really spending time and you're, it's so important to you, then spend the time and figure out what's right and what's wrong. Don't spend five minutes on it. So, number one is this infatuation is that you just met the person and you don't know anything about them. You don't know who the person truly is. So you have to allow yourself to take the time to kind of figure it all out. Give it the time that it deserves. We live in this such a, a fast-paced, this instant world. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to live in this instant world and to use all the mechanisms of the world in long-term relationships. Most people, what are they doing? They're basing their relationships on the movies. You know how long the movies are? They're two hours. So if you want to have a two-hour relationship, base all your relationship advice on the movies. If you want to base it on something you see in a tabloid magazine, I don't know how long those relationships are. Probably less than two hours. Number two. You ignore his or her faults, or you're in denial of them. So you see the faults, but you ignore them. Because you're not being honest with yourself. You don't want to see the faults, because you don't want to end something that's good. How many people end up in a relationship, and they don't want to end something that's really good? And they'll never go into a serious conversation. They'll never try to figure out 
what's really going on, what's right and wrong. They'll never ask questions that will kind of go beyond the surface because I don't want to end something that's good. I don't want to go there. Number three, you admit to his or her faults, but the infatuation is so strong that you brush them aside. It's similar to a patient after a major surgery that is put on morphine. He knows that there's pain, but he can't feel it. He can't access it, so he doesn't have to deal with it. So, too, with the infatuation. When you're infatuated, you know that the flaw is there, but you're so hooked on the infatuation that nothing seems to matter. In effect, you still see or view the object of your infatuation as perfect because it's much easier to look at the world that way. It's much easier to look at the world through rose-colored glasses. And I'm not saying it's not a good thing. Optimism is obviously much better than pessimism when it comes to relationships. But at the same time, you also want to be somewhat realistic. And realism doesn't mean pessimism. It just means knowing what you're dealing with, knowing the faults, knowing the good, knowing the bad, knowing what's important to know. Now, the last element that we just spoke about is especially problematic because people who are doing this actually think that they're being realistic. They admit the flaw, but they don't realize that they're on morphine. Actually, the analogy of morphine is not so far from the truth. Studies show that when a person is experiencing infatuation, the substance that is called PEA is released into his or her system, and PEA has the potential to bring feelings of elation, of bliss, of euphoria. This substance, PEA, which is released in the brain, is also a natural amphetamine. This explains why people need so little sleep if they're infatuated. So perhaps a person who's infatuated is literally intoxicated. Maybe there's a certain rush that happens during that infatuation process with all the hormones, with all the excitement, with all the backs and forths. That rush allows for the person to truly be in this blissful state. And that is exciting for the moment, but it only lasts as long as you're infatuated. And the moment reality hits, boom, what next? We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. A man I once met was dating someone who had a tendency of being verbally abusive. She wasn't nasty all of the time, but sometimes she would slip. 
and she did so once in front of me. I told him what I had seen, and he later admitted to me that he saw this pattern, but he reassured me that he could handle it. So I suggested they get some premarital counseling just to make sure that he actually could. <laughs> she was completely opposed to the counseling. So what did he do? He brushed aside the verbal abuse, deciding that it was a completely a non-issue. He was too intoxicated with his infatuation to internalize the seriousness of her behavior. After they married, unfortunately, she obviously, you can see the pattern, she continues her abusive behavior, and they eventually divorce. Now, I'm using an extreme example, and it's a true story, but had he sobered up earlier, the mistake could have been avoided. Not being realistic in your dating, and I know what you're thinking, and I can see your faces, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's a really bad example. But if you're saying it's a bad example, think about the exact opposite. Imagine that you're the kind of person who is pessimistic and you constantly are finding reasons like this why it's not gonna work out. So be the opposite. Maimonides says that if you want to change your behavior, you should go to the opposite extreme. So if this is a behavior that you see as something that is natural for you, you may wanna end up at the opposite extreme. Sometimes, the person inebriated with infatuation asks something like, isn't love all about accepting and loving a person with all their flaws or in spite of their flaws? Isn't that what I'm doing? I'm loving the person, flaws and all. Isn't that what the rabbi said I should do? Isn't that what it's all about? And it's really a tricky question. The reason why it's a tricky question is in order to find an answer, you have to remember that infatuation is effortless, while love requires some effort. The difference between how infatuation deals with flaws versus how love deals with flaws is the following. Infatuation effortlessly ignores or plays down someone's faults. I'm going to say that again. Infatuation effortlessly ignores or plays down someone's faults. It's really easy to ignore what is real, what is true, and what's really going on in a person's life. Love consciously accepts those faults with effort, but chooses to focus on the positive with effort. So now let's talk about the flaws. While... Infatuation effortlessly ignores and plays down someone's faults. Love consciously accepts those faults with effort, but chooses to focus on the positive with effort. So what happens to a truly loving relationship? How is a truly loving relationship different from an infatuated relationship? Because it's a very fine line if you think about it. What infatuation is and what love is, it could be a very fine line between an infatuated relationship and a loving relationship. In a loving relationship, for example, a serious marriage potential, the following happens. Now, obviously, I'm generalizing. I have no choice but to generalize. We're in a room full of many people. If I was talking about your specific story, your specific narrative, I wouldn't generalize. But here in this class, I'm going to generalize. And I apologize. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about somebody else on the wall. <laughs> Two people meet. This wasn't you. Nothing to do with anything. 
This never happened to you. This is just some phantom person. They like each other. They share goals. They share values. There's attraction. Oh, we're in love. It's so wonderful. It's so nice. It's so blissful. They spend time together. They get to know each other. They actually talk. I'm shocked. It does happen every so often. Men and women do talk. Shocking. There's even some sparks. Maybe there were some fireworks that someone launched from behind her back. But there were some sparks. And they go beyond the image, so to speak. Then they talk. They spend time together. Some of their faults become more apparent. They don't ignore, they don't deny those faults. Rather, they responsibly consider whether they can handle those particular thoughts because they're coming up in the course of whatever's going on in their life. So they see it and they're conscious about it. In other words, they're able to assess the authenticity of this real relationship as they progress. They build the foundation of the marriage. They build it on shared values. They build it on honesty. They build it on respect, on knowledge. And yes, of course, most importantly, and I say this most importantly, attraction. Rather than what would be maybe wishful thinking or blind attraction. Maybe at some point we can talk about if you have this question, I can differentiate between blind attraction and real attraction. The false sense of security that often happens. The relationship is built on an assessment and an understanding and a mature acceptance of their spouses, of their spouses' imperfections, and not a denial of them. That is this, I guess, euphoric type of idea. Now, let's talk about love. I'm sure, for those of you who heard me before, I've always questioned, what is love? What is love really? Does love really exist? Is love an integral part of a relationship? I know that the movies taught us that, and I know that we've read romance novels and they've taught us that, and I know that the, the, the overarching idea out there in the world is that, I mean, nobody would get married if not for love, of course. It's all about love, but, but what is love? And is love, I mean, whatever version of love you have, is that version of love that you're thinking about right now, is that an integral part of a relationship? I'm just asking that question. I'm putting it out there for you. It's important to, to check yourself. Just kind of check the facts in your mind because it could be that the facts in your mind came from some TV show. And maybe on the TV show it looked like love, but that was some writer that con constructed that love experience. And it, is it real? And if you have that same experience. You're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly, oh my gosh, I'm experiencing the same thing that What's-His-Face experienced on that particular show. I mean, look, it's unbelievable. This is amazing. And, but then it doesn't pan out the same way it panned out for him or her. And so you're, you, you, you get into trouble by thinking that the rest of the narrative, the rest of the movie is gonna be exactly the way you expected the movie to be because that's the way you saw it in the movie. So there's a couple that I know. They've been married for a few years. But they're already during the dating, 
there was one big issue. The guy was often late. Now, he wasn't the conscientious type. So now she had a decision to make. Could she marry him? There were a lot of things that were very right about him, and they were very right about the relationship. But she decided that she could handle it. She knew what she was getting herself into. She knew that the guy was always late. She knew exactly what was going on, and she decided that I can deal with this. It's okay. Now, anyone happily married, including this couple, will admit that imperfections that you know about a particular person, they could become annoying at times. But if you have a strong foundation to your relationship, a relationship that's based on reality, the faults become less significant over time. You still see them, they still exist, but they're not as important because you're starting slowly over time to see that there is a bigger picture. He even began to change and improve as a result of the marriage. I know what all the women are thinking. You see, she had a fixer-upper and she had an effect on him. And yes, it's true, I can slowly change my men. I know there's a lot of women, and I'm generalizing. There's a lot of women who like to go out and change their men. But for some reason, it became this thing. I'm going to go change him. I'm going to find the guy that I can... Uh, Exactly, the most messed up guy possible, and I am going to be able to. She's changed him, then she leaves. What? Because she got what she wanted. Of course. She changed him, she leaves. Because that's not the person she married. Very good. Once she changes him, she leaves because it's not the person she married. The point is that she was marrying a version of him that didn't really exist. So when she got that version, she realized that I don't even want that. I wanted the guy that I originally had because that's the guy I fell in love with. So you got to be careful about the fixer uppers. What? But what's love? There we go. You see all these existential questions. This is very difficult stuff. They expect me to talk about this stuff. How am I going to talk about it? Because it's so complicated. And the funny thing is, here I'm a guy, and guys don't know anything about love and marriage and anything. So automatically, as part of the male species, I'm having a very hard time talking about this to begin with. What? I have a title. So because I have a title, because I carry the title, I can carry, I can just say whatever I want, right? What's love got to do with it? Love, it's okay, it's wonderful, it's it's great. What the heck is love anyway? So now, the fixer-upper. Are they going to change? I don't think it's always a good idea. I once met this woman who's divorced with a few kids. And when I asked her why she was divorced, she said, because my ex-husband was abusive. So what was my next question? Did you know that he had abusive tendencies before you married him? What did she say to me? What a lot of women have said to me. Of course I knew. We dated for close to two years before we got married. I knew everything about the guy. So what do you think my next question was? So why the flippin' heck did you marry the guy? I married him, she says, because I thought I could handle it. And I thought he would change after we got married. There's this idea that somehow, magically, 
this guy is going to change. Like all of a sudden, we're going to get married. He's going to put a ring on my finger and all the abuse is going to go away. When we marry people whose faults are so damaging that the relationship can't survive unless that person changes, that person will probably never change. Because we didn't marry them. We married the version of who we want them to be. When we can honestly handle someone's fault and we marry the person as they are, without it being fully conditional on them changing, that's when people will. The funny thing is, the more expectations you have, the less people are going to live up to those expectations. The, the less expectations we have, the more we're going to end up getting what we want. It's an amazing thing. If you run after it, it runs away. If you run away from it, it runs after you. This stuff is true. I know I'm speaking traditionally here. But I'm allowed to. I'm a rabbi. I get the rules. I can speak traditionally. But I think that traditionally, there's a reason why a man has to run after a woman and a woman should not run after a man. Because the man needs to look. He needs to look for the woman like he lost something. I ever see a guy who lost his iPhone? Or his car keys? Have you met guys who have lost their car keys? You know what they do? They will turn the entire house upside down until they find it. That's why you have to look. That's how you have to look. You look for someone like you lost your car keys. You turn the entire house upside down. Then again, I'm, I'm gonna, at, the, at the same thing, I'm going I'm to bash the men, but I'll bash the women too. A woman comes to me a few weeks ago, and she says, uh, and I knew about this a couple I set up. They've been dating for uh, about two and a half years. And she's like, I'm waiting. And she says to me the following, I think I'm going to break up with him because I think I'll be waiting forever. So you know what I say? We live in a world of equality. Why don't you go buy him a watch and propose? Get down on a knee and propose. No, I can't do that. The guy's got to do that. I don't understand. Do we live in a world of equality or not? Well, guess what? She did it. She proposed to him and he said yes. I don't know what she did. I don't, I, don't, I don't think she did. I think she just asked him to marry her, and he said yes. And that was it. <laughs> the guys want to know, what kind of watch did she get him? Was it worth it? <laughs> exactly. It sounds crazy. But if we live in a world like that, I think it can go either way. I think we have to be okay with the possibility that life is fluid and it's not linear. That it really can go either way. And you never know what's going to happen. And that's okay. It's okay the same way that it's okay for her to not have expectations. It's also okay for her to propose. It's the same story. And because I think as a society we have broken all the boundaries... Because we've broken all of the stereotypes, we have to be okay with picking up the pieces and realize that it's not going to be what it used to be. 
It used to be people had a need. They had a need to get married. Today, we are completely self-sufficient. We don't have those need, that need anymore. We don't need. And it could be today that what I have to do is I have to really physically feel like there's something missing in my life. Clear out half of your closet. Do you ever look at your closet and say, is there room for someone else's clothes here? I'm not talking to anybody in specific. <laughs> but we have this conversation. <laughs> do you have physically, I'm just, let's start from the basics. Physically. Do you physically have space in your life for someone else? Is there space in your closet? Is there space at your table? Is there space in your bed? Do you physically have space for someone else in your life? Then we can go to emotionally, then we can go to mentally, to spiritually. That's a whole different level. But is there physically space in your life for someone else? And if there isn't, make the space. If your vessel is completely filled, then you expect someone else to come along, you have a full vessel already. The first thing we have to do is experience that sense of humility within ourselves. That there is something truly missing inside me. That I am only the best version of myself is only half of me. This whole soulmate business is real. That the two of us together make a whole. Which means the best version of myself alone is only half. That's the best version of myself. And I'm not even that. So I'm not even the half of who I can be potentially. And because I'm not even half of the person that I could be potentially, I need to go look for it like I lost my keys. It needs to be that important. And I know there's so many important things and so many things in our lives that are vying for our attention. We have to finish binge watching those episodes of whatever else we were watching. I mean, Stissel, very important. Have you watched Stissel? <laughs> it's the first Haredi show about nothing. It's amazing. It's great. It has this like alluring, like captivating thing. I want to just tell you, I actually watched an entire 12 minutes of it. And that is a record for me of watching a show straight. I'm not joking. And that was enough to base about my Haredi show about nothing. But it was very good. I picked up some very good lines. And if you, if you know Hebrew and Yiddish, you get like all the, the, the translations over there, the subtitles. They don't know what they're... What's it it's, called? Huh? It's called Shtisel. It's, 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 it's on Netflix now. And, and, and if you don't know about it, then you're living under a rock. Huh? The trailer about the smoked meat sandwich. Anyway, so... Exactly. When, when we marry people whose faults are so damaging that the relationship can't survive unless that person changes, that person will probably never change. Because we didn't marry them. We married the version of them that we want them to be. But when we can honestly handle someone's fault... When we marry the person for who they are, am I saying the M word and everyone's getting scared because we haven't even gotten to the C word or we haven't even gotten to the D word, commitment, dating? We're only at the S word. We're seeing each other. I see you. You see me. 
with, if we're able to, whatever version, marry, date, commitment, see, I don't care what version you use. I'm using marry because I like the big M word. You can use whatever other version makes you feel comfortable in your comfort zone and stay there. I'm just testing out. Can I, can I, can I push the envelope a little bit tonight? Sure, sure. Okay. Can I give you a little bit of a little what for? Can I zug? Am I going to give a zug? Okay, good. I'm just making sure I can give a zug. If you marry someone with the condition that they're going to change, you're not going to get anywhere. If you marry them unconditionally, it's amazing what happens because what you're doing is you're allowing them to put their best self forward. Because they know that they are accepted unconditionally. Unconditional love is such a powerful thing. I don't know what love is, but I know what unconditional is. So I'm going to put them together because it sounds good. Unconditional love. But I'm talking more about the unconditional. By accepting someone and all their shtick unconditionally. And they know it. They know you don't like it, but you accept them for who they are. Why? I don't know. And you know what? You don't have to have a reason. You can say, because I care, because I'm a compassionate person, because I am a person who has a heart, and I wear my heart on my sleeve, to quote Shakespeare. That's okay. That's all you need. Unconditional is what we expect our parents to be. And very often they, show, they, 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 they fall short of that. So maybe a lot of us are secretly looking for the unconditional. Maybe we want our mate to secretly be our mom or dad to give us the unconditional that our parents never gave us. Huh? And that was like the past 20 years of therapy for you. Just all in one word, and the rabbi is bringing up too many things tonight, so I'm going to just stop there. So now let's go, and I want to turn the table. We spoke about the other, but what about me? Sometimes people are realistic about the other person, but they're not realistic about themselves. They're not realistic about their faults. So very often... There's two versions of people that I see. The people that come to me with a long list. It's like a shopping list. And it goes, how many things I can't even tell you. And the people who say, what are you looking for? I don't know. What are you looking for? I have no idea. You know, just get me anyone. I don't care anybody. They have a nose good. Huh? They have two eyes. They have a mouth. Sounds good to me. They have a pulse. For those of you who have heard me talk about this before, I'm sorry if it's redundant, but I want to talk about it for a second. It's so important to know who you are before you start dating. How do you know who you are? You need to go through a process. Now, there's lots of different processes that you can go through before you start dating. So here's one version of that process, and I'm going to tell it to you right now, and you can decide to take it or leave it. And I'm happy at some point, I'm actually not going to tell you the entire thing right now because I'm, it's actually a cliffhanger. Because what I want you to do, and I'm being open and honest about it, is I want you to do the first two steps and then come back to me and ask me what the next step is. So what I want you to do is take out a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper, and don't do it right now. 
but you can do it at some point and you can make some notes. If you don't want to make some notes for yourself, you can ask me later and I'll send you a whole, a whole file that I, that I made. I'm happy to, to send you a PDF of this whole thing. A lot of people have done it and I'll tell you why it's important. I want you to take a blank piece of paper and just write on the top of it, what am I looking for? And take time. This process could take you 10 minutes, it could take you 10 years. It doesn't really matter. I hope not 10 years. Yeah, I know. So I, I hope not 10 years. But it could take you more, hopefully more than 10 minutes. And you write down as many things. The point is that if you handed me this paper, this is how important this is. To, this is the rule. If you hand me this paper and I find someone and I check off every single thing, you will go right to chuppah. You won't even date. That's how descriptive it has to be. So I don't want... Huh? He wants the watch. He's still stuck on the watch. What kind of watch do you like? <laughs> now, I don't like words like nice. I don't know what nice is. Everyone is nice. Kind, sensitive, caring, smart. I don't know what these words mean. Because every single person has a different version of what those words mean. So what I want is I want you to qualify those words. I want you to write more than just smart, nice, sensitive, caring, loving. I don't know. Those are just words that you can just take a thesaurus and you can just write them all down. Okay. What are synonymous with love? And you write them all down. I want you to qualify. What, what does it mean? Am I looking for someone who's going to be my mom or my dad? Because that's the kind of person I'm looking for now because I didn't get any love from my dad. I mean, come on. I'm looking for a guy that's going to be my dad. But we're not going to solve the world's problems or your problems overnight. So if you're looking right now for someone, that's the kind of person you're looking for. Be realistic. The best thing is to call it out and put it on the paper. No one is going to see this paper besides for you. So call it out. Make it real and put it down on the paper. I promise you, it'll, you can safeguard it. You can stick it somewhere where you know no one will be able to touch it. Make sure you keep it on you at all times. So, Because it's between you and the world. But you need to write it down. You need to say it. Say the thing. And if you're looking for whatever that version of yourself that you're looking for, just write it. Write what you need. Write what you want. Make your wish list. After you're done with that, I want you to take that paper and just fold it in half and put it aside. And then you're going to take another paper. The other paper is going to say, you're going to write on the top of it, who am I and what do I bring to the relationship? And then you're going to write all your qualities. And I don't want you to write, I'm nice and I'm smart and I'm sensitive and I'm awesome and I'm amazing. I want you to qualify your Qualities, because that's what they're called. They're called qualities, so qualify them. And I want you to write it all out. And then you're going to take that paper. You can't look at the old paper. It doesn't work if you look at the old paper. You take the two papers, and you look at them side by side. And you ask yourself, which may be the most powerful come-to-Moses moment you ever had. Can these two people be married? Can these two people, the my version of myself 
and the version of the other that I want to be in a relationship with. Can they be in a relationship? Are they complements of one another? Look at them. And then call me. Or text me or write me. And I'll tell you what the next step is. What I'm going to tell you is when you're done, this is, not the, this is, the, this is half of the process, but I don't want to tell you the next steps because I think that it's important for you to go through these two steps first. When you're done with those two steps, or what, sorry, when you're done with the whole thing, what you're going to have is an honest paper of what you're looking for. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to take that paper and you're going to hide it. You're not going to look at it. And then you're going to go on your way and you're going to meet people. And one day, you're going to get into a serious relationship with someone. And you're going to see it's actually going somewhere. And if you're a guy, you're going to realize you're going to probably have to pop the question soon. And if you're a woman, I'm saying traditionally, you're going to realize that some guy is going to pop the question to you soon. And you're going to be like, I don't know if this is the right person for me. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to have that little piece of paper that's going to be so powerful. But you know why? Because you're going to be able to write all the qualities of that person. And then you're going to secretly take that paper out afterwards and you're going to compare them and you're going to see, can those two people be married? You're going to have that very powerful piece of paper that you made before you got into the relationship. So you know that it's totally unbiased. And you'll be able to answer your own question. And at some point, you're going to have a very difficult question you're going to have to answer. And you're going to be uncertain because so many people get into this and they're uncertain. It's scary. I was scared. A lot of people are scared. You know, you know what my mom told me? My mom said, she looked at me in the eyes and she said, listen, Boychik. She didn't say Boychik. But... Stupider people than you have done this. And I was like, yeah, you got a point. Yeah. She's like, I'm like, you got a point. Stupider people than me have done this. But you need to have that confidence. So this, what this page is going to do for you and more than anything else, also it's going to help clarify what you're looking for, which is very important. There's other benefits. But I would say the most important benefit that this page has for you is it's going to give you that confidence that when the right person comes along, you have an unbiased version of who you're really looking for. And if that person meets that, that unbiased version, you'll know it's the right person. You won't be scared. Because there's a lot of uncertainty in relationships. And especially if you get into marriage and a real, a long-lasting relationship, there's a lot of uncertainty in it. And you want to make sure that you are realistic when you get into it and you want to have that confidence. Now, a lot of people, when they get into relationships, they underestimate themselves. They have a false version of themselves. And there's usually three traps they fall into. If you want to look here, I wrote it here on this page. It's the third page in your handout. Number one, infatuation. The lie of infatuation is all I need is attraction. If I'm attracted to him or her, I'll be okay. That's a lie. Number two, desperation. The lie of desperation is there's no one else out there for me. The trap of desperation is a very dangerous one. It's caused a lot of people to ignore horrific things during the dating process. I sometimes get these calls. I'm sorry if I'm generalizing, but I have to tell you this. And I have like this, you can hear like, you know, the other side. 
I need to get married. I need to get married. And I say to her, when is your 30th birthday? <laughs> when is your 30th birthday? And it's something, I don't understand it, Anna. But it's something around like a certain time and all of a sudden it's like, I need to get married. That desperation is really not good. I'm, I'm scared to set people up who are desperate like that because I know what they're looking for. We all know what they're looking for. And the moment they get what they want, they're going to throw their guy out. That's the reality. Because they didn't really want the guy. They just wanted what the guy could produce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a junkie looking for a fix. It's like a junkie looking for a fix. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Well. And number three, not in reality. Not in reality looks something like, I'm perfect. So I think I deserve someone who's perfect too. And guess what? Nobody's perfect. It's kind of like... You got it, right? <coughs> Do I need to say more? Good. Anyway, this third trap can keep a person single forever. Forever is a long, long time. A long, long time. In order to avoid these traps, this is what I encourage you to do, the following. Number one, make your list. Go over. There's going to be other elements I wrote here of things you can do with your list, some ideas. I'm not going to rehash them. I just spoke about them. I'm not going to rehash them, but you're, you're welcome to take a look at the handout. Then what I want you to do is, and this is why I think it's really important, if you don't have a relationship mentor, you need a relationship mentor. And I'll tell you why you need a relationship mentor. Because, A, if you come from a divorced home, the odds are that you, you know. If you have been divorced, the odds are even more. If you come from a home of which there was not love, or you don't think your parents had a happy relationship, there's another version. You need a positive version of relationships. You're never going to believe in marriage if you don't know what relationship looks like, if you don't have a positive version of relationships. If you don't think your parents had or have a good relationship, then you probably will not know what a relationship looks like. So you need a relationship mentor. You need someone who can guide you and who can tell you what relationships look like. So you have an idea of what a relationship is. So, since my time is running out and I want to go on to your questions, I'm going to say the following. I want you to ask yourself five important questions today. Can I admit the faults of the person I'm dating? Number two, can I handle them? Number three, can I admit my own faults? Am I aware of my own imperfections? Number four, am I being realistic as to the type of person that I should marry? Number five, Am I allowing my fantasies or my immature needs to take over and push me to ignore negative or destructive aspects about the person who I'm dating?
I'll tell you the truth, I was scared to talk about this tonight because I know and I can feel the energy in the room. I know it's a little depressing, like, okay, well, where do I go from here, Rabbi? And I know it's tough and I'm, and I'm excited to get to your questions because I know that, and if you haven't had an opportunity, we'll pass this around before I finish. If anybody wants to throw some questions in, you're welcome to throw some questions in. And I know it's really hard to talk about these things, but I'd rather us be realistic. I'd rather tell it to you as it is, and as a result, you have what to think about. I really want you to go home tonight with a nugget, with something that you can think about, something that you can say, what am I doing wrong? Because if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, you know what that means. Crazy, man. So... If, it, if I just, one of these questions or one of these ideas that I spoke about tonight, if they inspire you and you end up making a change as a result of it, I will say that my work tonight was good and we had a good session tonight. That's what I'll say. Now, what I'll do is I'll go on to questions. Before I go on to the questions here, does anybody have a question they want to ask me? Not all at once, yes. What if um, your parents did have a good, happy relationship? And? Oh, forget it. So. And, and, and in what relationship? So they had a happy relationship, and? Does that. So let's talk about this hypothetical person. Hypothetical person <laughs> who hypothetically has parents who have a hypothetical good relationship. Does this person think that that is the kind of relationship they want to have? Yeah. Okay, so then there's no problem. <coughs> That's great. So, they, so that person has a marriage mentor, their parents. Now, here's the next question that may be a little more complicated. Are, does that hypothetical person feel hypothetically that they can talk to the hypothetical parents about their hypothetical marriage <laughs> and, <Hypothetically>. and <laughs> they can speak openly to their parents? Okay, then there's no problem. It's, what I'm saying is a lot of people today don't have that, but if that person has that, then there's no problem. But it's good for that person to also know that those people are your marriage mentors. And they're the people you're looking at when you talk about long-lasting and healthy relationships. And it's good. And I think, if, by the way, parents are very good. If you really feel like your parents are a great example of relationships and you feel like you can have an open, honest conversation with them, happy birthday. I mean, that's the best, the best situation. Unfortunately, I know more people than not don't have that. So I would, if you have that, I would consider yourself lucky. Yeah. Yes? What if hypothetical parents who did not have a relationship got divorced but still insist on being your relationship? <laughs> <laughs> and that's all you know. <laughs> well, I would say to those hypothetical parents, um, has it worked out for me yet? Do you want hypothetical grandchildren? What? They know the answer, but somehow they, I know. It's, it's, it's very complicated. It's very complicated because you do have an obligation to honor your parents, and I'm not saying don't honor your parents, but you also have to be careful not to allow yourself to... Walk away. Walk away, you're a big boy. <laughs> I didn't say it. The rabbi didn't say it. As long as the rabbi didn't say it. Okay. Mike, what? I have a question. Question. We've got some questions. Yes. How, how do you feel about bringing in an outsider, like say, like best friend and trusted friend, to help identify your faults? Somebody who you know will call you on your BS because 
When it comes to admitting your own faults, it's like that little trap when you go into a job interview and that question comes up, you know, what's something you'd like to improve? So, what's your biggest weakness? And people will always sugarcoat it and say, oh, what I, so, so it's a very good question. What he's asking is, what do you think about bringing a friend who knows you inside out, who knows your BS? There's no such thing as a friend who, who, who knows you inside out, but I do believe that you can have a friend who can call you on your, on, on your garbage. So that is true. I would go through the process first and then bring the friend in. Because I think you want to go through that process unbiased, and the moment the friend comes into the picture, it's going to become biased. But I do think it's great. If you have a friend like that, friends are very valuable. I wouldn't make it a survey. Don't bring 20 friends in. This is not a survey. But definitely bringing one good friend into the picture is very good. What? No polls, no Facebook polls, please. But one, but one good friend would be very, very valuable. Okay. I have a yeah. Should you change your life to attract a certain girl to your life? Should you change your life to attract a certain girl to your life? Well, do you want to be the that person that you end up changing to? Like cutting your beard or. Do you want to be the kind of person you end up changing to? That's the, that's the question. You and I have that thought conversation yeah. before. It's more a question of knowing your limits as to what you're willing to change. No, but I, I, th I think there's much more than knowing your limits. You have to ask yourself, okay, so if I change myself and I'm not the who I am, if I'm not myself, then what's the point of changing? Yeah, I would rather say that this is the kind of person I'm looking for. And it's hard because, you know, the old, the old joke where you have the singles uh, ad, those old singles ads from the newspapers, they don't exist anymore. But you know, and you're like, you know, yeshiva bucher, beard, hat and jacket, studies all day, looking for same and other. So you have to be, <coughs> you, you have to be careful about what you're looking for, and 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 what you turn yourself into. Okay, well, let's go to. I've got a whole. I got a bucket here full of questions. So let's go to some of these questions. This someone. This person addressed me in third person. Does Rabbi Bernath believe that couples with a large age difference can work? I don't know what the term aged large large is relative. Um, in generally, I think that more than 10 years is not a good idea. I don't think it's a good idea that your partner should be closer to your parents' age than yourself. So I would say 10 years at most. I mean, especially in today's world, there's such an age, there's such a, a generation difference in 10 years. I mean, even five years has, has a generation difference. But 10 years is even a bigger generation difference. So I would definitely say that um, you have a lot of problems, and if you want, I hate to, I hate to uh, refer, but if you look, if you go online and you type in Rabbi Bernath, large age difference, I wrote an entire article about it, and I, in that article, I list all of the reasons why I don't think larger than 10 year age differences work. Does Rabbi Bernath believe in love at first sight? Do I believe in love at first sight? I, I think that there are people who can say they have love at first sight, but they can only tell you after the fact. They can't tell you at first sight that there was love. I think a lot of couples actually will tell you that they, they, they knew they were right for each other right away. But they're telling you after the fact. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. So love at first sight, I don't think there's anyone who just had a love at first sight and can truly say that at first sight. They can maybe say that a year or 10 down the road, but not at first sight. So love at first sight does exist. I mean, you can ask couples. That they'll tell you stories about love at first sight. But I'd rather talk, I believe in 
couples who are married for 10 years that had love at first sight. I don't believe in people having love at first sight. Love develops. Because I believe that love develops over time. So 10 years later, you can tell whatever narrative you want. If you want your Genesis story to be love at first sight, make it love at first sight. If you want your Genesis story to be love at second sight or 50th sight, I don't care. If you want, you can tell whatever story it is. It's great for the bubas, but that's about it. Next. Next question. Do I recommend dating websites? Um, so, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm going to try to give you unbiased here. It's your question. Huh? You put that question I did not put the question. It's not my handwriting. You know my handwriting. This is not a shameless plug here. So, what I'm going to tell you um, is the following. I'm going to first talk about the general, I, I was talking before our class started tonight, I was talking about the speed dating. I don't think speed datings are a good idea because it doesn't really give you an, an opportunity to really know anyone. And I think if, if, if you wouldn't speed date your university, why would you speed date the person you're gonna marry? What is speed dating? Speed dating is basically where musical you go to this event and you have musical chairs and you spend five minutes with every single person there. What is it? What is it? Less than five. Less than five, can you imagine? People are making decisions. At the end of the night, you can say, oh, I like that one. And, I, and I, I definitely have heard of people meeting from these speed datings, but it's the exception to the rule. And generally, what ends up happening is someone who could be good for each other because they, they, they looked at each other the wrong way because it was awkward, because it is really awkward. It's <laughs> super awkward. So because they looked at each other the wrong way at the speed dating, they'll never, ever... I mean, I've tried. I have people that I think are so good for each other. I set them up. I'm, I already speed dated them. <laughs> okay, tell me. What do you learn in four... What do, you re- what do you learn in four minutes? Or what do you remember from what you learned in four minutes? It's how somebody... Sorry, you mean after you saw the other six people or before? Exactly. So you decided that out of the 22 people in the room, that was the best one. Happy birthday. I mean, so then, then you have all these swiping right and swiping left, and that is like messed up our society. But uh, I like to, because he's in the room, I like to call him out. I never have an opportunity to call it, Henry. <laughs> but uh, I had this dream a long time ago, of making a local site for Montrealers. And uh, when I kind of, I was sitting in a class just like this, and I started talking about it. And he was sitting at the class. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't in this room, that's for sure. It was 2011. Yes, exactly. 2011. And everybody said, you know what? You won't believe it, but I have a, a, a domain that I bought called jmontreal.com. And I'll, and I'll give it to you if you want to make the site. And so... This, it all happened at a table looking just like this with a bunch of people. Somebody else said, I'm going to help to design the site. Somebody else said, I'm going to help create the profiles. And there's a whole group of people that got together and we created this. Uh... Were you there at the time when it happened? Oh, I think so, oh. no. So, were you there? No. So, it was a really nice group of people that got together and now it still works. I mean, right now, there's 2,900 Montrealers on it and growing every day. And uh, I can tell you that recently, I was talking about this before, that recently it's had a tremendous resurgence. Uh, just happens to be out of nowhere. So I'm kind of, it's really amazing. A lot of people out of nowhere, we started having like tons and tons of people signing up to it. Um, it can it kind of goes through these phases where, I don't because we don't really, it's just a community service, so we don't really advertise it. But somehow it just goes through these phases where people, a lot of people are signing up on it. 
And so obviously I got excited, I got re-excited. And so I've started making a lot of matches again and I'm going on there every day now. So if you don't have a profile on there, I encourage you to make a profile there. It's completely free. There is a paid option. Um, there are a number of matchmakers aside from myself. Uh, you can also click on that you want your thing to be open to matchmakers. And I have heard a lot of really good things lately about what's going on over there. And I've seen a lot of good things as well. So that's jmontreal.com. The other sites, I can't, I don't know, I can't vouch for those sites. I, I've heard different stories. Some people have had success, some people not having success. I heard of a, situ of, a, of a thing that's happening with these blind dates that are happening this Sunday. There's stuff going on in the city. My opinion in general, as long as it's not going to prohibit you from finding someone, I think that it's all good. Try to do as much as you can. Get out there, get on those sites. But the problem is, what ends up happening with some of the things that are going on is that every single time it doesn't work out, it's like, uh, it didn't work out. So if you're taking it personally, then you may want to protect yourself a little more and make sure that you're getting into the right environment. So I can tell you like a site like J Montreal is a little more protective of that than, than, other, than other things. So if you are okay, look, I'll put myself out there, I don't care what happens, then try it all. But if you're someone who every single time you get someone that lets you down, you're gonna sulk over it for a year, then I wouldn't just put yourself out there like that. If, that's my advice. Well, if you're going to be real enough to write everything down about your faults and who you are, I mean, don't you also owe it to yourself to have a tougher skin as well? Yes. I would hope. I would hope that in today's day and age, people have. I mean, I think at work a lot of people have tough skin. So I, I would hope that that tough skin will translate itself into the dating and relationships as well. The next question. What is L O O O O D E question mark? What is love? In Detroit. I have no idea. I have no idea what love is. Um I know. There's gotta be a bunch of Spotify playlists that have some. Some some rabbi once told me. It's not as great as the singles think it is, and it's not as terrible as the married people say it is. <laughs> okay. In today's world, what, in your opinion, is the best way to meet someone? Honestly, friends, the best way to meet someone today is you go to a friend that's the same age as you, who you think is a good person, and say, you must know someone who you've dated who would be good for me. <coughs> What? Can't be someone you dated no. No, and, and you know what? I want to tell you, and I'm making this offer right now. If you go to one of your friends, and your friend says it'll be awkward if I called them, no problem. Give me the number. I'll call them. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm calling the BS right now. What? It doesn't have to be someone they dated. No, it could be someone they know, but it's always it's always easier if it's the person they dated and they said they wouldn't work out between the two of them. Like often you have people you date, they just, they're nice people, they're good people, but just you know the two of you aren't going to work out. So share friends. That's just weird. Why? Why, Why is it weird? What you had a long relationship with, not someone you like had kids yeah. with or whatever. I, I, I think... Like someone you date, you want to date, yeah. two, three days with someone. It didn't work out. Okay, but then you need someone. Yeah, you need someone to be perfect for Okay. Hold on a second. Let's 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 uh. Okay. 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 
Order in the court. Well, right, very soon we're going to finish this, this thing. We have a limited time frame. We'll finish this whole thing and then you can, you can debate this over. I'm just telling you that I have seen the most successful friends. Well, here, we won't be there when I touch Yeah. My ex and the yeah, exactly. have you, you, you have, a, a lot of people have success. And I want to tell you also, I believe that you need to make a vessel to get the blessing. And if you set your friends up, you're going to get married. You heard it here first. Go out there, find someone for your friend, and you're going to end up getting married. Because that's the way it works. God, God, uh, don't say, stop trying to find someone for yourself. Find someone for your friend. The next question. How does love, lust, and infatuation differ? You see, this is the problem with all these words. How does, you know, love, lust, infatuation, I mean, these are all words. I mean, you can, you can define them the way that you want to define them. There's a lot of people confuse love and lust. Physical touch confuses love and lust. Love is something that's much more long-term. Lust is something that's instant. You can't be in love after a minute. So the person who asked me if there's love at first sight, there's definitely lust at first sight. I believe in lust at first sight. I don't know if I believe in love at first sight. Lust, love is something that has to develop over time. Lust is instant, but lust is as instant as the value, easy come, easy go. So whatever value in your instant gratification, you can have that value, but it's not the long-term kind of value. Infatuation is a much bigger story. We spoke a bit about infatuation today, and I, if you want, I'm very happy to talk more about infatuation a different time. What? Lust and infatuation are more closer than love and infatuation, for sure. I don't know if lust, lust could turn into infatuation, could infatuation turn into lust, I don't know. These are all, again, these are all definitions. You have to define your definition, but I'm happy to talk about it in the right time. Okay. True versus blind attraction. Someone asked me the question. That's great. Thank you. True versus blind attraction. True attraction is going to be after you finish that list that I told you about. You're attracted to someone not based on their looks. I'm not saying that looks can't be in the list, but it shouldn't be number one. Looks should never be number one. It could be number two, but not number one. And so you actually are attracted to someone who is really in line. Your heart and your mind are the same. Your mind made the list, and your heart is in sync with your mind. So you become attracted to someone who is, fills what you're looking for, honestly. That is true attraction. Blind attraction is, that one looks nice. Swipe right. That's what blind attraction is. It could work. It could not work. I can definitely tell you true attraction is going to work much more than blind attraction. That, that much I can tell you. Is it true that the things we find cute at the beginning of the relationship end up bugging us later on? It's a very good question. I've heard that, and I've spoken to couples, and I know a lot of couples who have, say, who have said that, that some things that they find cute end up bugging them, and, but I hear a lot more of the opposite. Things that bug them in the beginning end up things, being things they find cute later on. Really? Yeah. You know why? Because if you care about something, you just have to turn it the right way. Which means if it's bugging you, there's a reason, because it's having an effect on you. It's rubbing against you the, the right way or the wrong way. You're the, you're, it could be you. It could be the thing that it's rubbing against is the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So 
if you just change, what ends up happening in the relationship is you change. I mean, we all evolve and we change as people. So things that originally bugged us could also be things that we end up liking later on. It's very possible. Any other questions? That's it. That's the end of, my, end, end of my bucket. Any other questions? I have an answer. Huh? I an answer. Go for it. No, you know, it's true. I, I, Hollywood movies have really done a number on us, you know, on culture, you know, Jewish culture, Western, North America, I don't know about Europe, Western culture. But there was one movie I saw that had a really interesting line. It was, a, it was a Jack Nicholson film with Laura Dern. I think the movie's name was As Good As It Gets. As Good As It Gets, okay. And he said, and basically, I'll give you a quick brief of the story. Basically, he's a very misogynist. Um, Jackson plays a misogynist, cankerous, very highly successful novelist that lives next door to Laura Dern, who's an aspiring novelist, and they get together. Right? It was Helen Hunt. It was Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt, sorry. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.